0: All right, there you go. We're live. Oh, hi. How's it going? Fine. I was going to say welcome to this week's podcast, but that seems weird saying that to you because.
1: Well, you're, you're talking to the people listening, not necessarily to me. That's hi, true. people listening.
0: Hi, people listening. So I'm not I'm saying Phoenix, hello
1: to you. And that person, other than me, is Gwion. And we're talking about stuff witchy stuff. Mostly. Book stuff. Yes.
0: Yeah. This is our second episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. And to uh, all the person, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> <laughs> to the persons that listened beforehand, thank you very much. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Phoenix, this is going to be a bit different than last week because uh, the last show we did, we just sort of you know chatted uh, about sort of our histories mm-hmm. and, and how we became witches. Yeah. But this week I'm going to interview you.
1: Yeah, which is super weird.
0: Why is that weird?
1: Because it is.
0: Is it because I already know the answers?
1: Well, that's part of it. And it's also because you know the questions that I would least like to answer. (laughs) Or you know how to phrase questions so that I'll, like, reveal more or get stroppy or whatever. So you have, like, an unfair advantage.
0: You don't think that's, like, a good place for an interviewer to be?
1: I think it's unfair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're a witch. Do something about it. (laughs)
1: I'll stab you with my athame.
0: Excellent. Well, there, there you go, folks. We've solved, <laughs> we've solved that issue. If I ask a question that makes Phoenix feel stroppy, she'll <laughs> just stab me with her athame.
1: And that sums up our relationship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I say something, Phoenix gets stabbedy. <laughs> okay. So uh, it's been a busy week for both of us. Uh, yes, we've been doing lots of podcasts recently. So you were recently on uh, Llewellyn's uh, first ever Llewellyn Con. What was that like?
1: You were also on the Llewellyn Con.
0: Yeah, but I'm doing the interview. Oh, we're her. starting that now. Sure, okay. Sure. Uh,
1: well, I mean, it was great. It's you know, it's fun. I love teaching. It is one of my favorite things. Uh, there was some technical difficulties, so the first eight minutes are me. And Llewellyn trying to figure out why my sound was all wonky. And then when it got sorted, it was fun and wonderful and and lovely.
0: What did you talk about?
1: Uh, we talked, well, oh, not we, I, I talked about the Beauty Pinnacle, which is a tool that I developed and have s- written a book about that's coming out in August.
0: Which which leads us right into the interview how question. How convenient. See how I did that? Yeah. That's that thing you were talking about. Right. Right. So, uh, actually, I realized, I was counting it up, you are, I think, officially now a prolific author. Sweet. Yeah, because you have finished five books. Three have been released. One is due to be released in, in a month or two. And then you've got another one in the works. Is that right? Right. Right. So... Have you always been a writer? Is that something that you've always wanted to be? Or did you just, you know, start teaching and think, oh, I should write this shit down?
1: You know, what's funny is I've always wanted to be a writer.
0: Like ever since you were a kid? Yeah,
1: when ever since I was a kid. In fact, in junior high, I hand wrote a, like a novella, like a love Daniel Steele type story. Because I used to really love Daniel Steele. And I my parents are divorced. As you already know, Gwion, but those of you listening may not know. So, I spent, I live in Northern California with my mom, but I spent my summers up in Portland, Oregon with my dad and my stepmom. And my stepmom has a million Daniel Steele novels. So, over the summers, because I am a, like, I read everything, I love reading, although I've slowed down and kind of switched to audiobooks lately, but. Uh, I would read Daniel Steele books all summer when I was in Oregon.
0: So are these like the, he swept her up in his strong naked chest? And... You don't
1: know Daniel Steele? I'm offended. Any Well, then it moved on from Daniel. Stan- so here, this is me. This is me in a nutshell. I moved from like the Bodice Ripper love story romance to Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> and then I read obsessively everything by Stephen King. I'm still a huge Stephen King fan. I don't read Daniel Steele anymore. But I still love Stephen King. But I always wanted to write fiction. So writing about witchcraft and magic isn't necessarily what my goal was as a kid. But I also didn't know that that was a job as a kid. And then like you said, when I started teaching more, And sharing some of my knowledge and some of the things I've learned, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I could share with more people. Like I could, you know, the thing is wanting to help people access things that I didn't know how to access when I was learning or starting out or whatever. So it's kind of nice to be able to make that opportunity available.
0: So are you writing the books that 15-year-old Phoenix would have wanted to read? That sort of a thing.
1: Uh, in some cases, I can't say that it is true of all of the books I've written, but that is true of of some of them. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. So, yeah. all right, let's go through. Do you mind if we go through each one of the books, kind of a little the, and bit? And these
1: are books that I've written, <coughs> not books I've contributed to.
0: Yeah, because you've actually contributed to what another half a dozen books or something like that, where you've I don't got know. A, a chapter. I'd or have a to section. really think
1: about it, but yeah, I have. I've contributed to. Probably half a dozen books, and then two more that are about to come
0: out. Two more anthologies, or
1: no? Um, like like Estrella Taylor has a book uh, about air magic that I have a piece in, and Matt Arn has a workbook for his psychic witch. That's going to be coming out And I have pieces in both of those books
0: Oh wow, that's fantastic And yeah. you were also in Thorne Mooney's Traditional Wicca Yes And then the Elements of Magic book By J. Palmer and Jane, and Jane Meredith
1: And Meredith, yeah And um, Brigid, Son of Womanhood By Patricia Moynihan The Pagan Leadership Anthology And uh, the Altars book By Jason Mankey and Tempest
0: Wow, so yeah, you've been in a bunch of books but those are books that you've got a a paragraph or a yeah, chapter uh, or yeah, something like
1: yeah, that. yeah yeah just a piece yeah mm-hmm.
0: so you're you're excerpted or, or contributed to half a dozen ish books and then you've got either completed or in the works six six books of your own that's pretty amazing thanks yeah wow now I know what you do all day yeah yeah so
1: yeah one of my many jobs
0: one of your 14 jobs yeah. Yeah. yeah so um let's start with the first book that you wrote so we'll just talk about the books that mm-hmm. you know say phoenix lafay on the cover mm-hmm. so what was the first book that you wrote
1: who do shrines and altars
0: so tell me a little bit about that book who do shrines and altars what's your connection to hoodoo? uh
1: well it's a it's honestly a loose connection but i uh worked at lucky mojo for several years and um
0: That's Lucky Mojo Curio Company in (laughs) Forestville.
1: (laughs) And the more I learned... I mean, hoodoo is African-American folk magic. I am not African-American. Right. Uh, I I have been raised in an interracial household since the age of five, for anyone who's curious or keeping track. Not that it matters, but that is my reality. Um, And the more I learned about sort of the intricacies of hoodoo, the more I recognized magic. Like, magic is magic is magic. So... Um, the words and the labels might be slightly different between European magic or African magic or African-American magic or Appalachian magic or South American magic. Like the, the more I learn, because I'm constantly learning about magical systems, I find it fascinating. And the more I learn, I see the similarities. I see the overlap. I see uh, what is common. And like, like I said, they, they, this system might call it this thing and th- this system might call it this thing. For example, like in hoodoo, uh, you make a doll baby for a person you want to do witchcraft on, although it, it isn't called witchcraft. <laughs> in voodoo, you might make a voodoo doll. In a, in European magic, you'd make a poppet. The reasons behind it and what you do with that doll is the same. The herbs and the specifics might be different because they're all from different parts of the world, but it's all the same. So... um. The more I learned, the more I saw like, the practices I had already been doing, and I was learning new ways, and really, it opened me up to a whole different magical um, community, uh, and, and heavily Christian community that I'd never been connected to before. There's a lot of Christianity in hoodoo, uh, and Catherine Ironwood, who owns Lucky Mojo and is a publisher, saw my skill as a writer. And basically offered me the opportunity to write that book, uh, and I and I had the opportunity to write because what Cat does is posts these like very short. They're all ninety six pages. They're short. They're succinct. Um, it's spell after spell after spell, and then a lot of like frequently asked questions. And all of her books follow that format. So it was also kind of an easy first book because I had a specific format to follow, uh, and all the tools that I needed like the reference materials, you know, like I used a lot of Henry Hyatt who wrote a massive amount and he interviewed all kinds of hoodoo practitioners. I had all those volumes of those books right there at my fingertips because of Lucky Mojo, where if I'd been at home, like you can't get copies of the Hyatt books without spending thousands of dollars. So it was a really good opportunity for me to not only write, share my knowledge, but also have access to things that I wouldn't otherwise have access to while I was researching.
0: You mentioned uh, Hyatt Mm -hmm. and I think in the the hoodoo community in general both historically cuz he was around in what like the 1920s or something like that
1: uh, you know i'm really bad with dates so i can not I, I think it might be older than that but okay. i'm not positive i'm i really suck at remembering dates
0: so when he was collecting a lot of these materials he was a uh, he was a, a white guy that mm-hmm. was traveling primarily in the south yep. but going up to places like chicago as well places where frankly there were lots of uh, african american yep. folk yep. and he was documenting Folk magic, but there's some controversy, right? That he wasn't getting the real information. And then there's another um, contemporary of his whose work you prefer and cited more, right? Is that correct? Uh, uh,
1: Yes, and. Yeah, Hyatt was an outsider. So he was a white dude that came into these communities and offered people money for interviews. So there is some, uh, most scholars, especially folklorists and anthropologists, Trust what Hyatt has written, um, and it's you. It's you. Everyone uses the Hyatt books, right? But, you know, you go. You're an outsider. You go into a community. You offer poor, poorer folks money to tell you their magical secrets. They could tell you freaking anything, and you wouldn't know because you're an outsider, right? right? So, um, there is. There, and if you read the books, and there's a lot like These books, they're thousands of pages There's five volumes, and they are thick like It's a lot to read uh, But you can read through it And if you're familiar with, with hoodoo Or African American folk magic Or folk magic in general You can see some of it's bullshit Like mm-hmm. some, some of what he wrote Is just people spinning him a yarn But some of it's Accurate, some of it's real And like even modern writers About witchcraft some of it has holes in it because they weren't giving him the whole picture. They were giving him just enough to satisfy his curiosity. To get their 50 bucks or whatever Right. So you can see, especially if you're a a folk magic practitioner, you can see the holes. Mm. So the other writer is Zora Neale Hurston, who is an African-American woman who is actually in the community. She went through... So one of the arguments is hoodoo doesn't require initiation. It's a folk magic system.
0: So anyone can do it.
1: Anyone can do it, although that's a whole other conversation about cultural appropriation and all of that. Sure. Right. Um, but there are other folks who say, well, actually hoodoo once required an initiation and Zora Neal Herson wrote about going through a hoodoo initiation.
0: So would that be more like, um, like an apprenticeship, like as opposed to say a magical initiation that folks might think no of? a
1: magical initiation. Really? really? Yeah. And I read this book. Uh, Mojo Workin. So if you're interested in this, it's a great book uh, where she basically posits the argument that the reason voodoo became a religion and hoodoo became a folk system is because voodoo became syncretized with Catholicism because of where it it was. Because like in Louisiana, Catholicism was the required religion.
0: Because of the the French background. I
1: I guess. I don't know. Um, But... Other parts of the United States, Protestantism, I guess, or, you know, the non-Catholic was the main version of Christianity. And there were there was nothing to syncretize gods to
0: because
1: they didn't worship saints like Catholics did. Oh, gotcha. So it became a magical system instead of a religious system. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, But we don't know.
0: So uh, what was her name again? Zara?
1: Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Mules and Men is the book that most people know of hers about um, folk magic, African-American
0: folk magic. So was she a a root doctor? Was she a practitioner of hoodoo?
1: No, she was a folklorist. Hmm. She was an author and a folklorist. And um, so there's, you know, there are a few folks I've spoken to, and I'm not going to name names, who think that she was potentially just as much of of a fraud to use a very big word as um, Hyatt um, because she wasn't part of these communities either but she was an African American woman who was writing you know so I tend to feel more like she got information that Hyatt would have never received but Hyatt wrote a lot more he recorded people
0: like voice recorded? Yeah
1: on clay not clay tablets wax tablets or something like that so they've all been lost like we don't have them anymore um but you know it's any folklorist is putting their own like the um the Grimm brothers um what's his bucket who wrote the gospel of Aradia? uh charles leland yeah they're all folklorists they all made shit up they all put their personal spin on it and their own filters yeah it's impossible to write without using your own filters right so
0: mm. the first book that you wrote yes. was Who Do <laughs> <laughs> was a nice tangent. I like that. Um, so Who Do Shrines and Altars. Yes. Uh, I, I imagine it's about Who Do shrines. shrines and Altars. Mm. Mm, yes. Uh, but uh, you know what's the it's a like you said, it's about a hundred pages. Yep. Uh, lots of different spells. Yep. What's the for anybody listening, what is the main difference between a shrine mm. and an altar. Whether that's around hoodoo or yeah. other magical
1: stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty universal. Yeah. An, an altar is a working space. So a shrine is an altar, but an altar might not be a shrine. A shrine is a devotional space. So it's a place where you're working with ancestors or gods or other spirits. Uh, and, and an altar is a place where you're doing magical work. So like I said, you might be doing magical work at a shrine. So it's also an altar. Does Is one of them
0: more or less permanent, and the other one sort of? Not necessarily. Permanent?
1: Shrines are usually pretty permanent. People, you know, you don't devote yourself to the your, a god or your ancestors, and then a week later you're like, okay, that's done. You know, that tends to be lifelong work. But, you know, shrines are usually around a lot longer. An altar might just be tonight. I'm doing this ritual. I'm going to do this spell. I'm making an altar to do my my spell, and then I'm putting it all away. Hmm. It was a temporary altar. Got it. Yeah.
0: So um, within Hoodoo, then, do you talk about the the gods or ancestors or folks that people might build shrines to? Is that part of what's There in the book? aren't
1: gods in Hoodoo. Oh. I mean, there is there is the Christian God, you know. So there are shrines to to Jesus uh, and potentially some of the saints in modern Hoodoo. Saints have become more popular than um, in you know Hoodoo from fifty years ago or a hundred years ago.
0: And some of these saints aren't. Um, canonized saints right. through the catholic church some of them are folk heroes themselves right. Right? yes
1: yeah yeah especially like um mexican and south american influence on hoodoo is very much like um folk heroes yeah, yeah.
0: it was the the priest that stood up to some yeah. insurrection or the yeah. the the criminal that kept getting away with something yeah well right? even
1: like one of the most used ingredients in hoodoo is a high john the conqueror root. And High John the Conqueror was supposedly, there's lots of stories about High John, but supposedly he was a king in Africa and brought to the United States as a slave mm-hmm. and just continuously caused shenanigans against the slaveholders and tricked them and got them you know, to do stupid things and escaped all the time. There's also a story that um, he led a whole group of escaped slaves into South America where they started their own colony. There's all kinds of stories about about John the Conqueror, and that's one of the most common roots that's used in Hoodoo,
0: because it's a way of the the idea being that because he was the king of uh, mischief or something like that, that if you put that root into some of those spells, into some of those workings, that it will also cause mischief. Or... It's
1: not really about mischief; it's more about power. Mm. Like like he he was brave. He escaped. He saved other people. He started a, his own colony. Thousands of miles away, on a different continent than he was born on, yeah. right? So he was brave. It's a root of power and bravery. Um, the root looks like testicles, like like a dark skin person's testicles. So it's also that, like the like the, having the balls, you know? Yeah. It's that kind of energy is huh. what the John the Conch roots are for. Wow.
0: That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now you've got me curious. Does <laughs> does one? shave these like truffles does one you know <laughs> you don't up? eat
1: them it'll give you diarrhea
0: oh really good good magic to know that don't, could explain a don't few things. do that
1: no you um you could carry just the root like you one of the popular spells to do is to anoint a, a, a john the Conk root with a specific oil like mastery oil or um power oil or some kind of you know oil to give you stronger energy or whatever yeah. and then to carry it on you like, uh, like a mojo bag or something or if you smash them up you use the pieces in mojo bags or charms or amulets or whatever. You can add whatever. It to oils and things Yeah well, you right? can charge oils with it and things like that. Mm. Yeah usually it's the whole root used as its own um, as its own thing or it's smashed up and the bits are used.
0: Yeah. So 100 pages and in this book full of different uh, ways to build altars mm-hmm. and the uh, condition oils and roots and herbs and things like yeah. that that you might use to go yeah who
1: uh, mod so a lot of the writing about modern hoodoo and you know because modern hoodoo is different than the hoodoo of the 80s which is different of the, the hoodoos of the the 60s and, and i mean the 19s right when all of this stuff really started getting written down and manufactured on a larger scale um but a lot of it is condition so this is what's wrong with you. Here is my prescription for what's wrong with you.
0: Which is why practitioners are called root doctors. Doctors, right. They so they yeah prescribing cures and right. magical systems to make things happen.
1: Excuse me. Yeah, so you uh, you want your lover to come back. Here is your prescription for your lover to come back. And it's, you know, the, use this herb and this oil at this time of the day with this color, at, you know, on your front porch, blah, blah, blah. And you have to follow these very specific protocols.
0: So, in, in other magical systems, those would be called correspondences.
1: Yeah, and it's the same thing. Yeah.
0: Just out of curiosity, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Yeah. Um, are the correspondences that you find in most sort of modern, say in the last 50 years, witchcraft books based on some of those hoodoo conditions? Or is it sort of coincidental because, you know, every human wants more love or wants to get vengeance or you know whatever
1: well the conditions are universal right love money power health vengeance protection like those things are universal um but the formulas and the names for those formulas are totally stolen from hoodoo for the most part really yeah because what happened is at a certain point and again i'm not good with dates but at a certain point um You know, people who lived on the fringes of black communities saw that there was a potential for making money. And so there were um, mail order catalogs made for hoodoo supplies, and there were pharmacies that would sell hoodoo supplies, very specifically marketing to the black communities that sometimes these people were a part of, but often they weren't. Mm. So it became um, marketable. It became a way to make money and not necessarily a way to serve community, where you know, before, root doctors were specifically serving their communities because the f- folks didn't have access to medical doctors, right? A root doctor knew how to curse someone and how to bring your lover back. And they also knew how to help you with the shingles and childbirth. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. They, they walked both of those worlds. Hmm. Um, so when it got more commoditized, is that the right word? Sure. Commodified, yeah, we'll whatever. It, yeah. um, it got bigger. And then here comes the internet and it gets bigger and now everyone has access to it. So, you know, like Van Van oil is a formula that originates in New Orleans and it's about turning bad luck into good luck. I make a Van Van oil. I've never been to New Orleans, but I'm familiar with the formula and the energetics and what it does and what it does for you spiritually. Um, So it's tricky. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So that's book number one. Yeah. (laughs) That's Hoodoo, Shrines and Altars. Uh, And then your follow-up to that was also another book for that same publisher. Yes. um, In the same family of subjects, right? Yes. And that was...
1: Cashbox Conjure.
0: So say a little bit about Cashbox Conjure. Yeah. You know,
1: what's funny is I actually, um, I, what is the I proposed this book to Kat because I had written the first book and honestly, it was not an easy process. It was difficult. Uh, and I looked at her catalog of titles and there were books on love and books on mojos and books on petition papers and books on candle magic. Uh, There was nothing about money magic. Hmm. And I was, you know, as a, as a witch for hire, you know, I get my number one question from clients is love. My number two question from clients is money. So I was like, gosh, there's no money book. So I proposed to write one. um, And, there you go. So Cashbox Conjure is about money magic.
0: So what's money magic? I mean, I, I know because yeah. I've seen you, you do it, but for somebody that's listening that's like money magic, I could use some of that.
1: Well, and I think my perspective on money magic is not necessarily 100% hoodoo. And so I feel like that's important to name. And I do name that in the book. But the again, the Lucky Mojo books are very much like, spe- here's your spell, bam, here's the spell, bam, here's the spell, bam. Right? It's not necessarily like why this spell exists or where it was born from or who created it. So there's not a lot of space in that book for, the, for that kind of historical stuff. Gotcha. Um, so what you're about to hear is a lot of me, your mileage may vary. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, money is energy, period, point blank, because our money is based on nothing. Once upon a time, it was based on a real substance gold yes that's not true anymore and the more and more modern we're getting the less and less we're even using those little metal discs and those little pieces of paper we're using these cards that transfer zeros from one place in the ether to another place in the ether money doesn't really exist on a tangible level and if the entire system of money collapsed and all you had was a million dollars stacked in front of you it would only be worth toilet paper or burning to keep you warm right money has actual no value but money as an energetic the idea of it the concept of it is um, it that's what makes our world potentially as corrupt as it is so if you believe money is the root of all evil if you believe that money is a huge problem then you will have a negative relationship with money sure uh, that's not to say systems involved with money, like capitalism and patriarchy. Those things are problematic. I agree with that. Again, this is all my opinion, right? What's your show. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, but money, in an, the, the, I, the energetics of money is not a negative force. It's just a trade force. So you have the very first thing about money magic is you have to be in good relationship with that energy. You have to have a good relationship with that force. You have to understand the reciprocity of it. And you can't be a dragon and hoard it all. You have to share. When you get something, you have to give it away. Uh, When you do money spells, it's important that anything you achieve, you give a portion of that to something, whether that's your grandkid or a charity or you dump it in a donation box at the grocery store. You know, how you give it away doesn't matter. It's the fact of, of that reciprocity of it coming and going and stepping into the flow of it.
0: So you petition the universe or the gods or your magic, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to get some money. And one of the things that's important to do is to say, okay, great. I got my $1,000. I'm going to give 100 of that so this energy keeps moving. Yes. Right? Yes, that's a, a simple yeah, example.
1: Right. And a lot of money magic, a lot of what's in Cashbot Conjure, a lot of if you've read any other money magic books, it's all the same thing, really. It's just, you know, how to tweak it this way or that way to make it work better for you. But it's all about training the money to work on your behalf.
0: Oh, say so, more about that.
1: Well, for example, in our house, as you may have noticed, we have a, a abundance altar yeah. and it is in the abundance corner of our home. And here we go. There, th- those of you who have, have feelings about cultural appropriation, I apologize in advance. So Feng Shui is what told, where I decided to place this altar. I have a Lakshmi statue sitting on the altar. I work with Lakshmi a lot. Sorry, Sorry about let
0: it. Let me see if I get this straight. We've got a, a, a Chinese, <laughs> Chinese system with a Hindu Indian, yeah, Indian,
1: god. Yeah, so, uh, and there's other stuff on this altar. There's a lot of stuff on this altar that we don't necessarily need to go into. But the place where I trade my money is on this altar and I have a lodestone which is a a stone that has some magnetic qualities to it and I have it on a little dish and I feed it magnetic sand and the magnetic sand piles up and looks like little hairs and it gets all like weird and spindly looking Uh, and I put my paper money underneath that lodestone and before like that lodestone's job is to magnetize that money so when I spend it It will come back to me and it will bring friends. So
0: it's sticky, right? It attracts more money. Yeah.
1: So the goal is before the pandemic started, every week I would put the largest denomination either I had or I could afford. So some weeks when things were going really well, because, you know, I'm a lot of my life is is freelance with my clients. So some weeks I could put a hundred dollar bill on that pile and I would feel so abundant. And so powerful and other weeks I could barely put a dollar and then I would, but then I would look at the stack and be like, okay, well this week was only a dollar, but look at all that. I'll look at all those other bills there. And then when it gets to a certain point, you take out the bottom bill and spend it. And as you spend it, you think, all right, little friend, I'm releasing you into the wild, bring back more of you. So it's having this healthy energy with the energy of money. Yeah. Relationship, Uh, not energy.
0: And just so you know, folks, that is the very reason in our house... If you see a crystal in the window or you see a little <laughs> pile of odds and ends, don't touch it. Don't touch it because it's magic. I mean, that goes for both Phoenix and I. We both do magic. But I know if I see dollar bills or yeah, some shit everywhere, some money lying around, I know oh, it's not found money. I'm not going to be like, hey, Phoenix, I just picked up this money. Look, I found it. She'll be like, put that shit back. Yeah. That's my of my money, Ulta.
1: Right. Yeah, I have. I've got stuff hidden all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do a lot.
0: Okay. So in the book. Yeah. You've got do you have that example of building oh, yeah. A, yeah. And what what yeah, other that's kinds a pretty of classic hoodoo to train
1: it? your money with a lodestone. To train the money, I yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. And uh, what what other spells or, or work? Yeah,
1: I are mean, that? you know, it, there's some things in there about getting your tenants to pay their rent. And there's um spells in there to get approved for section eight housing right oh, so wow. so there's the full gamut of understanding that money impacts us when we're when we are wealthy and have tenants and own properties and when we need help and we need section eight housing right because yeah. in i i don't i've never had a rental property maybe someday but i've definitely been on the entire spectrum of not knowing where my next meal is going to come from to yeah. being very comfortable where i could help other people so um, you know, money magic doesn't stop when you're poor or when you're wealthy, it's all about having a good relationship. And if you, if you're poor and everything feels like you're squeezing it so tight that it's spilling out your fingers, that's not healthy. And if you're so rich that you're not sharing that wealth and helping other people, that's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's, that's uh cash box conjure. Yes. And that's, that's been a really popular book, right?
1: Yeah. It's done. Okay.
0: Yeah done okay she's so humble it's (laughs) been reprinted a few times already yeah yeah so uh so those are the first two books that you wrote yes that you wrote completely from beginning to end yes both about 100 pages and just chock full of Spells. spells yeah and you know as a little plug here you do carry both of those books at milk and honey which yes. is the shop that we own right and but it's also available from lucky mojo and, and lots of other and people
1: yeah carry um, that book. i don't i'm assuming they're like at barnes and nobles and that kind of thing i actually don't know i'm sure you can order it online yeah you that. can I, I know they're on amazon but yeah. there's a lot of folks who are trying to pull away from yeah that mega list. well
0: then they can just buy it directly from you yeah 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 so
1: milk-and-honey.com. <laughs> Today's <laughs> episode brought to you by Gwena Phoenix.
0: Plug all their products. Right um, okay, so that's the first two books, both hoodoo related. Yes. Um, with a little bit of your magical spin on them. But I can't help that. Well, right. Yeah. You wrote them after all. Yeah. So the next book that comes out. Yes. Uh, came out um, a year ago. Roughly, October, maybe? Jo- yeah, just
1: October. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. It no feels reason. like it was so much longer.
0: Yeah, and The this
1: world, book. I mean, okay, that's the other thing. Like, I know that this is totally off topic. Someone posted on, and I may have said this last week or last show, someone posted that we're halfway through the year, and that felt like simultaneously a ton of bricks had knocked me out, and, like, the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. I can't believe we're halfway yeah. through the
0: year it's the middle of june because
1: half of halfway through the year i've been trapped in the house yeah like it's crazy yeah march
0: april may and june
1: so it's it is um very odd that my book came out in october yeah it feels a lot longer than that
0: and the name of that book is what is remembered lives yes so tell the folks all of the folk that one person listening Yes. tell everyone that's listening what does that title mean before Mm -hmm. you get into what the book is about does what, what is remembered lives. Mean? Yes.
1: So uh, my one, I, I'm involved in several traditions of witchcraft. One of the main ones is the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft, and we say, "What is remembered lives" when a beloved has passed on, or when we're honoring our ancestors, or what have you. And the concept is, if we tell their stories and we honor them and remember them, they live on. Uh, and I teach these classes about goddesses, these these goddess workshops. You sort of like, uh, you refer to them as tea time with the goddess. Like they're right. introductory workshops to different goddesses. And my goal, my hope, my desire is in leading these workshops that some point, at some point, um, participants will meet a goddess that they just fall in love with and want to have a relationship with. So in doing sort of this ancestor work and my personal work with the fey and then the, this work with deities I sort of started thinking like what if it's not just our ancestors that need to be remembered what if all these entities need to be remembered and I'm not trying to say like if we don't worship the gods they die but they kind of do right like who knows the amount of spirits or deities that have been completely wiped out because people stopped remembering them, you know, the grove of trees that got bulldozed that once had a spirit living in it, and now it's all gone and no one even remembers. Maybe that spirit has relocated, or maybe that spirit's dead. And I can't possibly know. We can't possibly know. But I do know that the more we tell their stories, the more they have power. The more we give them offerings, the more they can do in our realm. In their realm, wherever that may be, I'm sure it's fine. They don't need us. But in this realm, we need them. And in order to keep them strong, we have to remember them.
0: Hmm. So what is remembered lives is broken into several sections. Three right? sections. Three sections. Yep. And one of them is working with the gods. Yes. One of them is working with ancestors. Yes. And one of them is working with the Fae or the spirits of place. Right. Right. So um, tell us a little bit about how what is remembered lives works with the gods what kinds of things are in there what what gods did you choose why yeah what's important to you about their stories
1: uh yeah so you know because I teach these workshops it was kind of an interesting opportunity to share some specific gods stories and so I chose nine because that's a nice magical number and I'm a polytheist I work with many gods and I there are five gods I work with on a daily basis So those five made the cut. And then I picked four that I had either a peripheral or a curious relationship with and wanted to learn more. Um, And energetically to round things out, too. For example, um, Happy, which is an Egyptian god, S, god, S. They're
0: kind of a uh, a non-binary. Right. right? They are all gendered. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to write about Happy. I I had a proliferary... some word. <laughs> Good word I knew of Happy. I'd had a little bit of connection with this with this entity but I felt like especially right now people needed to learn about this god like what an amazing powerful god that is ancient and multi-gendered you know or non-binary so that I felt like that was important and then um, I'm very goddess centric but I included Mithras, which we know nothing about and yet have full churches dedicated to Mithras. But we know nothing about how he was worshipped or his stories or anything. Right. This is
0: the Roman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, A- yeah. And, and mostly um, ceremonies with Roman centurions. Right? Soldiers. Or, or soldiers. Yeah, yeah.
1: He was the god of the soldiers. Um, yeah. So, you know, th- I included those two because I felt like they rounded uh, things out energetically, hmm. you know, Um so, th- there's nine different gods.
0: Can you uh, name them all? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Do you remember I think
1: all? so. <laughs> so, I named two already. Then we have Thor, one of my five. Brigid, one of my five. Morgan Le Fay, one of my five. Which I know, we could have a conversation on whether you think that's a god or not. It's fine. Uh, Baba Yaga, that's one of mine. And Dionysus. Wow. Is that all five of mine? Yeah. So, that's seven. And then I have Aradia. Yeah, Aradia, and Lilith.
0: Wow, interesting. Yeah. So lots of different cultures, lots yeah. of different uh, time periods, yeah. you know, not all from ancient Sumeria. No, Sumer and that was whatever.
1: intentional too. I felt yeah. like it was really important to get um, gender diversity, energetic diversity, cultural diversity in there. Um, and then in the gods section, you know, it's about meeting your own gods and how and why and how to do it carefully and how to connect and um, when you're tapped by a god and when you're not and how one is not better than the other.
0: What does that mean, tapped by a god?
1: Well, you know, if especially if you're paying attention online, sometimes we will be like, the Morrigan showed up and told me I was one of her warrior priestesses. and um, <laughs> Who's, Whose voice is that? I don't know. That's like my, like, I'm so special because the Morrigan, like, showed up and, like, <laughs> told me I was special. <laughs> it could be you know for folks who have not had an experience like I don't get full-on visions you know uh, there I don't think except for maybe when I've been on a hallucinogenic that something has fully formed in front of me right right? that doesn't happen to me I don't doubt that it happens to other people but it doesn't happen to me so uh, you know sometimes I feel jealous of people who have those experiences I want that that sounds cool you know so when people do share that this God came to them and showed up and told them that they were one of theirs and that they were chosen, like, who doesn't want to be chosen by a God? Like, that's so cool. Um, And so it can feel like, well, I've never been chosen by a God. I must not be special. That's not it's not that ex- special to be chosen by a God. You don't. Good Sorry, job, Guion.
0: Knocking shit
1: over. Um, You don't know why that person was chosen by God. It could be past life shit that they have to still serve because they made some pledge that was stupid. Like, you don't know why someone was chosen. So it's not something to necessarily be envious of, right? Mm. But I understand why people are. Because it makes you feel special to be chosen, to be selected, to have a God, like, stalk you, chase you. You yeah. know, there's something romantic about it. But also, you know, as a human, where your shortcomings and foibles are. And so you can look at deity and say, "Well, I really need to work on being more brave. I'm going to work with the Morgan because she's a warrior, right?" So you can also reach out to a deity when you want to either learn more about their energy or take on more of their energy.
0: All right, so I have a question for you. Yeah, um, we know some dear friends who would maybe say that they were animists or might say that they were atheo pagans like they they work with magic they do spells they're traditional witches they they do traditional craft they do hoodoo they don't want or need a relationship with the deity they might not even believe that deities exist yeah so what's the value of this section of the book if you're somebody that's like well i don't believe in a god necessarily like would somebody read this book and go that's crap, because I don't believe in the
1: <laughs> I mean, that's possible for sure, you know. Um, however, you know, I, I've worked with and taught and talked with people who feel like deity are archetypes. Mm, okay. And so um, us working or studying or connecting with deity is working with these archetypical energies. Mm-hmm. And that it's very Jungian or um, psychological, right? So that's fine. Um, Also, it doesn't have to be some deep spiritual process. It could just be informational. Like our ancestors, let's say the gods don't exist and they're all made up stories. Let's just let's just go down that road for a minute. Our ancestors made up those stories for a reason. And some of those stories survived for a reason. Right. Right. Why Thor of all the hundreds of gods in the Norse pantheon? Why has why was Thor immortalized as a comic book? Right. Why? Right. So there's something... Because Chris Hemsworth
0: is gorgeous. Well, yes, I agree. But <laughs>
1: but the comic book existed before Chris Hemsworth. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think probably even before he was born, mm. the comic book existed. That's, that's true, yeah. So it's also... a, a It's cultural and folklore. Mm. And there is power in understanding our ancient culture and the folklore they meant something to our ancestors
0: so thor serves a need for the community of his time and and, he's evolved
1: right right? like uh, we know from studying history and again we're getting most of this history from folklorists right so take you have to take it all with a grain of salt but he was a god of the people he was the regular man's god and he was proud and strong and fearless right and that is what the regular man well and really the Norse weren't very they were patriarchal but not uber patriarchal the, the, the average person that was their go to guy right, right. And, and he's evolved because he has been impacted by Marvel comics he has been impacted by the movies as a god he's evolved
0: because Chris Hemsworth is gorgeous right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah right and you know heathenry on a overall scale did grow in interest after those movies came out. Yeah, it really did, for sure. You know, all of a sudden people were more interested in in acid, true, and heathenry, and blah blah blah, and some With of that's problematic. Some of it's
0: problematic. Yeah.
1: <coughs> Sorry, I had to cough. So, you know, yeah. again, m- your mileage may vary. You and uh, we we need to know our history, Got it. and that goes for spirits of the land. It goes for the fae, It goes for our ancestors and the gods, because in a certain way, they are all the same thing.
0: So, in what is remembered lives in each one of the sections. So, whether it's ancestors or spirits of place or or the gods, what kinds of I don't know exercises or meditations mm-hmm. or trances? Like, what's the what's the work of the book?
1: Yeah. So, in like in the gods section, each of the so there's overall exercises and trances and workings and write uh, writing prompts for um working with any deity yeah developing a relationship with any deity and then each of the nine gods there is a story a, a story either channeled that i channeled
0: did you mean made up
1: no <laughs> i mean they told me yeah <laughs> funny um there is a story, there is a bit of a historical context, and then there is a ritual to do to connect to that deity or their energy, oh, right? Wow. So, um, Morgan LeFay's ritual is about healing. So, if you need a healing ritual, you can do this ritual, right? Mm. In the ancestors section, there are workings and writing prompts and exercises and rituals about connecting to your own ancestors, whether you know your ancestry or not.
0: So, Be- it's not just about the biological ancestry, right. but like yeah cultural ancestry yeah
1: and and you know it it is easier when you know who your parents and grandparents and and you can you know go on ancestry.com or have your dna done like it's easier but it's not a requirement you can still work with your ancestors even if you were adopted and you have no idea who your blood lineage is and your blood lineage may not even matter to you you may want to follow your adopted family lineage that's all wonderful Right. right so that's all in there and then the Fae section, again, there's writing prompts and exercises and rituals to connect to the spirits of your land where you live. So it's not about working with the the Fae the of Ireland, unless you live there. It's not about working with the trolls in Iceland, unless you live there. There are Fae beings everywhere, and they're not all necessarily um, the same, right? Right there there might be like there could be trolls that live in iceland that also live in like alaska or canada i don't actually know that right Uh, but they're very regional
0: but most forests have subtle every place has spirits. has some kind of energy yeah so it's about connecting
1: to that like how how do you connect to that and how do you develop a relationship with it
0: I know this is something that you struggled with. Mm-hmm. N- that's not the right word. Something that you've been challenged by. That's mm-hmm. probably a better way to say it. So we live in Northern California. Yeah. And, um, you know, a couple hundred years ago, um, this area, a- and for several hundred years, a couple hundred years before that, was dominated by the Spanish um, folks that came over and occupied this land. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, uh, in the last couple hundred years, 150 years, you know, with the doctrine of manifest denis- destiny and go west, young man, this area has yet again been, been colonized by, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It's been colonized by, you know, white folk. Yeah. So you've got, you know, California's got 400 years of occupation, but clearly prior to that, mm-hmm. there were, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of generations of people that lived in this area. Mm-hmm. So let's say, um, You know, running through your backyard, there's a creek, Mm -hmm. and you hear that creek every day, and you want to enter a relationship with that creek. Are you culturally appropriating that from the First Nations people that lived here beforehand? How does that work? No,
1: no. So here's here here's the deal. And you might disagree with me, and I'm fine with that. And we can have. And I don't mean you, Gwion. I mean anyone who's listening. Sure. We can have a conversation about this. I would be happy to. no one. And I think I can't speak for any group, but I think most people would agree with this. No one owns the spirit of that creek. And the fact that someone says, I own that is the problem, right? right? The, the settler mindset is I own this land. No, you are in relationship with this land. So no one owns that creek. And it is imperative for us, that is, this is tricky for folks who are descendants of colonizers, right? So North America, Australia, New Zealand, like all of us have a very, the white folks here have a, a very tenuous situation when it comes to connecting to the land, but we have to mm. because our disconnection is feeding capitalism, feeding patriarchy, feeding these systems that keep us disconnected and keeping us thinking that we own it. So you don't own it, but you do need to have a relationship with it. And if the native tribe, and I'm just going to say th- things here, if the native tribe called that creek Sally, then you don't call it Sally. That is cultural appropriation.
0: So if I say, oh, well, the, the, the people of this land that were here before me called this creek Sally, and they uh, did these particular rituals, yeah, no. if I do yeah, those same wrong. rituals, unless I'm connected to that community been trained by that community in those practices or with people or with people and i'm participating yeah. with them as an invited yeah. guest i don't do it that way right but what you're saying is those practices those names those rituals those are part of a community yes. or a, a, a tradition yeah. or a culture but the the river itself, or the forest, or the you know what, whatever it is that is being honored, yeah. that is just a um, uh, uh, a piece of the landscape, and we should be, could be, need to be yeah. in relationship with it. We should be, but create our own rituals, create right. our own names.
1: Absolutely. And right. what's interesting, uh, and I've read about like read the book Braiding Sweetgrass. It's freaking amazing. I, I've read it very, very slowly because I want to take my time with it. It's mm. so delicious mm. and beautiful. And every time I read another page, something she writes makes me cry because the way she relates her relationship to the land is how I feel in relationship to the land. Uh, you, the indigenous word for the creek might be Sally, so we shouldn't use that word. But the creek might say to me, call me Sam, right? And in English... That may even mean the same thing as Sally. Who the heck knows? But if we have a relationship with that creek, then we want to take care of it. Mm. Then we get involved in our local governments when it's polluted. Then we help do cleanups and schedule cleanups and make sure that the fish are healthy We do things to take care of the surrounding area and make sure that if there is a parking lot, it doesn't get overfilled and that on the weekends, people aren't leaving their trash there or their diapers when they leave.
0: That ends up in the river.
1: Right. Because we have a relationship and we care about it. Right. So that's what's important. And then you develop your own rituals. Rituals are highly personal. and. Those of us who are descendants of colonizers, we've lost that mostly. And because we have been indoctrinated into a Christian society, we believe that rituals happen in this building. And that's crap. Right. So develop your rituals with the land and let them be yours and personal and unique. And listen to what the land wants.
0: That's the key, right? It's not, I'm going to do this ritual. It's what ritual would you like done?
1: Right. And also understand your land, right? Like I remember... Uh, I don't remember the tree, but locally people were saying, oh, when I do ritual, I leave. I always take water. And then I found out from an arborist giving water to this specific tree is the worst freaking thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah. So you also need to know your land. Read about the native plants that grow there. Understand why these things are the way that they are. You know, like we live in an area that has serious fire safety. Well, the indigenous communities here knew how to keep that under control.
0: With control bones. How
1: and... come we don't go back to those practices? Right. Because we are not in relationship with the land. We own it and we try to dominate it and control it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. You got me on a soapbox.
0: No, that's good. This is why. This I... is a
1: topic I'm passionate about. Yes. That's why I tuned in <laughs> to listen tonight.
0: I, th- I thought, Phoenix LaFay, she's great. I Shut can't up. wait to listen to her. So, okay. So that's what is Remembered Lives. Yeah. The next book, we've got about uh, 15 minutes left. Okay. The, the next book that's coming out.
1: Coming out in August.
0: In August, yeah. Which It was due out in July, but COVID has. COVID's
1: just a, effed it up a bit. Yeah.
0: So um, so the next book that's coming out, I'm excited about. So mm. I'm just going to jump in and say a few things Okay. Here. So what is Remembered Lives? I loved that book because I knew the work that it sprang from. Mm-hmm. When I have read the bits of Walking in Beauty that you've allowed me to read so far, when I've read Walking in Beauty...
1: Just just to be clear, I let you read the whole book. You were just too busy
0: to finish reading the whole book. Great. Give away all my secrets. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, see? When I read this book... There we go. I <laughs> All <laughs> the bits of this book that I read, Yeah. what came across to me was this is Phoenix's practice, in written form mm-hmm. like the first book is excellent it's brilliant the, the the what is Remembered Lives not the first book but the book yeah. we were just talking about I love yeah, that book yeah because
1: these two books are through and Publishing not right. through the Lucky Mojo Publishing
0: right so what is Remembered Lives is like your life's work but what is Remembered Lives is how you walk in the world it's like I see you reflected what is Remembered page.
1: Lives or Walking in Beauty Walking
0: in Beauty okay. is how I see you walking in the world mm-hmm. so um it's kind of got two titles, right? It's Walking in Beauty and then it mentions this this Beauty Pentacle. Yeah. So, first of all, where did the Beauty Pentacle come from? Mm-hmm. Um and where did Walking in Beauty come from? And again, if I bought the book today, what would I get?
1: Yeah. So, it's kind of a long story, so I'll try to be quick. Um I taught at a week-long retreat about a decade ago. And I had a co-facilitator, and our path was about, um, was about beauty and stepping into beauty. In fact, our path was called Walking in Beauty. Huh. Uh, but it was a lot about poetry and magic and connecting poetry and magic, which is not necessarily my thing. My, my teaching partner was into the poetry. I was into the magic. And we co-collaborated this thing that kind of tried to fold in both of us. So I developed this tool called the Beauty Pentacle. And it is basically if you've if you're familiar with any energetic pentacle work, it uses your body as the five pointed star because our bodies are five pointed stars, our head and our two hands and our two feet. Um and so it you run energy from these energy centers as if you were having a pen an invoking pentacle drawn on top of you, yeah. right? Uh and so the we would run this energy in our in our workshop every day before we would dive into this poetry and magic.
0: And when you say run it, you mean like imagine it moving from your head to your left arm to your right foot, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you, yeah. So, and it is all about beauty. And so it's um, the thing that is potentially confusing is that this is not about the overculture's expectation of physical beauty Mm. that is going to come up. Because especially women, when they hear the word beauty, th- they think about models and magazines and that they're not good enough and blah, blah, blah. Like there's a, t- a fuckload of baggage around yeah. the word beauty. So Which
0: is part of why you developed this, right?
1: Yeah. So of course that's going to come up, but that's not the point. The point is about reconnecting. What we were just talking about, about reconnecting to the creek and doing rituals for it, that is the beauty pinnacle. Reconnecting to the world, reawakening your relationship to what is so beautiful, because Social media, the internet, the cable news channels with their 24-hour news cycles, and especially now, like I I was talking about this on my um, class with Llewellyn the other day. I wrote this book over a year ago, like I finished it a year ago, and I felt like, God, this is such important work for people to be reconnected and to see beauty and to feel those feelings of awesomeness, and I don't mean like, oh, that's so awesome, but like, when you are awestruck,
0: like when you stand in front of the Grand Canyon.
1: When you ju- when, like, in fact, when you f- hear the word awe and you can connect to a moment where you f- you felt awe, it like opens you up. It makes your chest widen and you feel more open and receptive. That's the beauty pinnacle, right? Being so awestruck, being awestruck, and remembering that you can be awestruck every freaking day just by looking out your window. The world is amazing. So a year ago when I wrote this, I was like, this is an important tool. And now I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> it feels even more important with what's going on in the world. Because it, it is intense right now between the civil unrest and the Black Lives Matter movement and COVID. Which we are in absolutely. full support of. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not in support of COVID. No. I want COVID to go away. Yeah. But um, we're in a very intense time. And it's never been more important to remember how beautiful the world is. Okay,
0: so I have a, a difficult question for you. Great. So, <laughs> are you saying, oh, well, the world is kind of shit right now, and for some people, a big pile of shit, mm. so they should just stop worrying just about racism pretty and look, look at, at the beautiful pretty butterfly.
1: Right. Right. No, no. Uh, no, it's not uh, put your head in the sand and just pretend everything's okay. Like, no, that's counterproductive. Um even in pain and strife and death there is beauty and feeling it and going through grief and going through sadness is beautiful yeah so it is hard it's it's hard it feel the words make it feel fluffy but it's not. so it's what not are fluffy. the
0: you've mentioned that it's a pentacle yeah. but you've only mentioned the word beauty beauty yeah. so what are the five points of this pentacle
1: yeah so you run that this energy this awe energy through your body um, and it starts with beauty.
0: And that's in the head.
1: Yes. And then it flows down your body to your right foot to devotion. Flows up and across into your left hand to creativity. Goes through your heart into your right hand to desire. And then down to your left foot with expression. And then back up to the top of your head. Beauty. So in the book, there is a long meditation on activating this energy and running it through your body. And then there is a whole chapter on different ways to work with it, and to you know draw it on the ground and write it in papers and move it through your body in different ways. There's a whole section on triangles of power and how three of the points work differently together minus the other two and how to work with energy. Yeah, Yeah. and then there is a chapter for each point where it digs more deeply into that stuff. And it's filled every... It's This book is filled with exercises. It's nothing but exercises, basically. So it's, um, you know, writing prompts, rituals, meditations, exercises, practices to help you unpack where you're stuck in relation to those five words.
0: So that's that's one of the interesting things. So I know pentacle work from the fairy Anderson tradition, with right. like the iron, iron pentacle, pentacle and the pearl pentacle, yeah. and then also from reclaiming, which right. has... You know, its its roots are in, in fairy mm-hmm. work. So while the emphasis is a little bit different, the idea is basically the same. Mm-hmm. So this is you also have been exposed to both of those ideas. Yes. And so
1: yeah, I mean, this wouldn't exist if I hadn't learned about running pentacles and iron and pearl work for sure.
0: Right. So this is um, this isn't fairy or reclaiming work. This no. is you saying I've learned these systems and I'm gonna this is um I'm gonna use that schema. To, yeah. to put these five points on yeah two. this isn't
1: changing the iron pinnacle this isn't an, an adaption of the iron pinnacle this is using the same concept of using your body as a pinnacle yeah and running different energy so it's not iron pinnacle energy it's not pearl pinnacle energy and the thing I think is unique you know iron pinnacle I teach that work yeah and pretty much everyone's iron pinnacle looks and feels the same
0: yeah
1: with the beauty pinnacle everyone's pinnacle is profoundly unique the energy the movement the viscosity the color uh, the sparkle the dullness the sheen is so unique yeah uh, because this work is profoundly personal Yeah. yeah yeah
0: so the name of this book is
1: walking in beauty
0: and when does it come out
1: august early august Early August. Yeah, I'm not sure the specific date because, like you mentioned, because of COVID, things have been delayed, so I'm not quite sure. But early August. And you can pre-order it now.
0: Where can I pre-order it?
1: You can pre-order it from Milk and Honey. You can also pre-order it through Llewellyn. You can pre-order it online through Barnes & Nobles or Amazon. Um, It's it's out there.
0: Wherever it is that you shop online or in person, you can get Yeah,
1: and, you know, if you have a local bookstore, please do, like, for any pagany authors that you support request their books to be carried because
0: it helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, uh, Hoodoo shrines and altars, mm-hmm. Cashbox Conjure, mm-hmm. both the basically about magic with a Hoodoo lens. Yep. And then, What Is Remembered Lives mm-hmm. and the beauty, Walking and in Beauty, the, beauty, mm-hmm. the walking, uh, walking, which is
1: beauty,
0: yep. a, a, a lot of ways about how to connect in yes. in different ways. Yes, right, to connect. Now, we've only got like three minutes left. You've got two more books, one that is due out in January, February of 2021, and then yes. one that will come out in the summer of 2021. I don't right? know about that. Roughly. Yeah. What, like two minutes on those books.
1: Yes. So I've written a book with Guyon Raven. Have you heard oh, of him? Oh, that's me. Yeah. He's it's, brilliant. It's called Life Ritualized, oh. and it is a book full of modern rites of passage and rituals and ways to honor and celebrate those moments.
0: And you can't order that book just yet? No,
1: it's not quite officially out yet. You can see the beautiful artwork if you go to our Facebook page, The is Next Door. So you can see the lovely cover that Llewellyn has created for us, but you can't quite order it yet. And then the other book I'm working on um, is still very early stages, so I don't even know if I want to talk about it. But oh, it, okay. is, um, it is uh, similar to What is Remembered Live's, in that it is um, digging into some specific historical cre- characters. Oh. All women. Oh, It's a very, like, women kick-ass, women who run with the wolves type of book.
0: Oh, wow. I'm, I'll
1: just leave it at that.
0: There you go. So something to, as they say, leave them wanting more. Yeah. Very good. Phoenix Lafay, it has been wonderful to interview you. <laughs> uh, it's odd. It's interesting to hear you talk about your books kind of as the author, not as my partner who's sitting on the couch going, I don't know what to write in this next chapter. Or, right. That was fascinating. I learned all this stuff. Right. So it's interesting to hear your perspective as an author Yeah. on this. So Great. It's thanks. been really wonderful interviewing you today.
1: Awesome. Thanks yeah. for interviewing me, even though it was kind of weird.
0: Yeah. And now I've got to go make dinner, I think, probably. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah okay but thanks for listening people
0: thank you very much and uh, we'll be back in two weeks we'll be back in two weeks with a, a new podcast
1: yeah potentially interviewing Guion
0: what no yeah no we should do somebody else nah yeah anyway we'll see. all right everybody <laughs> thank you so much for listening Bye. we really appreciate it have a good evening or afternoon or whatever whatever see ya